Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Well, good morning, and again, welcome to Glory Church Online. It is so great to have you this morning. Uh, Whether you are watching in a small group or listening on your own, uh, I am honored to have you join in. My name is Greg McKinney, for those of you who are new, and my wife and I are the lead pastors here at Glory Church and Glory Family. This morning, we are carrying on week two of a series called Hope and the home. We started it last week with Father's Day, and I don't know if you joined in, maybe you missed the service, but we talked exclusively about faith and how uh, we can have a mountain-moving faith in our homes. And it's this open dialogue, right, between hope, the experience of believing God can do the impossible and anticipating Him to do so, and allowing that to be a huge aspect of our homes, our places of influence, and how often those things are separated. And so this is a stretching series, I will tell you. Last week we talked about faith, and I encourage you to listen in if you missed it, uh, how faith doesn't always feel like faith, right? But this morning, we are getting into a hard thing to admit for ourselves. But as we get into it, I actually want to just show you, open your eyes to seeing just how practical this series is. In fact, throughout my time of being a pastor, I have absolutely loved to shed light on just how connected our physiological selves are with our spiritual selves. I know that sounds weird, but God created us to be human, to have the most powerful organ in the world, our brains. And when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, That truth may be simple to speak or to memorize, but it's so complex when you actually get into it because our brains are made up of so many hormones, so many habits, so many patterns that were formed from childhood that hurt or help our spiritual life, that our physiological selves can literally hinder our spiritual growth, that there's some healing that has to go on. In fact, I've, I've uh, reminded people that our brains are, are made up of so many hundreds upon hundreds of neurological pathways, literal ways that get, help us get from point A to point Z. Then in fact, you and I, our brains, we, they love to make sense of the world. And in fact, they will help you form an action that is in fit with how you perceive your life. And the issue, though, is that the literal us was transformed by the gospel. But at the same time that our souls were transformed, our brains still perceive us as the old us. And so though we know we're new, our brains have hardwired ourselves to still view and respond and interact in ways of old often in ways that we've seen dictated in our homes, our family of origin. In fact, I I explain it a lot in this way. Imagine a field, right? A field of really tall grass where it's about five feet tall and you can't see through it. If you and I were to walk down that field, make a path of our own two times a day, we can all agree that two weeks down the road, you can start to see a path being formed. And in fact, if you fast forward to three years, that path would be so made from us trampling down the the grass that a new person could see it and even have the confidence to run down it really quickly because that path has been made. You look at the field and you see the path quickly. 
The same thing happens over and over in our brains. There are so many fields where there's paths because we've traveled down that way of thinking or that life or that, those definitions for far too long that they are like second nature. So I could say the word love. And depending on your past, depending on your experiences, your hurts, your pains, your insecurities, your brain will quickly gravitate to a response. Like a neurological path associated with the word love, you will travel down that thought, that path. And and the issue is uh, it's often, if we're honest, very different than the definition God would give. That even though we know God's definition of love, Our actions will always dictate another until there's healing. And I can do this with every word, right? We have neurological paths with with experiences, with memories associated with almost every word. And God has some healing to do in a physiological self and how we view our life and how our brains work. And so today's theme, we're actually going to talk about a series of paths, Things that you and I have formed, and the interesting thing is that they are so different between you and me. They may be a similar path, but they're always going to look different between the the different person, and they are paths that we travel down when we want to escape hard things. They're paths that we travel down when we don't want to deal with that issue or that conflict or that feeling, or we don't want that negative uh, memory anymore, and they're paths that we take to cope, to defend, to to avoid hard topics, habits to keep us from dealing with them. And you and I have them all the time. And that type of avoidance is actually taught to us from childhood. And we overlook it so quickly. Psychologists actually give it a name. It's called escapism. And escapism is the attempt to ignore negative thoughts or unpleasant realities by distraction. And so you see the typical dad who comes down home from work. And, and yes, there may be a lot of heaviness. Maybe there's unspoken tension between he and his wife. But he goes to the TV. And he just escapes into this reality called the TV. And so uh, we, we see it passed down our homes and so we binge Netflix instead of dealing with our emotions. We binge Netflix instead of dealing with our fears or a hard day or a hard reality or a hard conversation that we need to have or we escape into control when our life gets uncontrolled or we escape into work or responsibility when our life feels worrisome. You you know David, King David in scripture, that man after God's own heart? We're actually going to look at him this morning because I, I am amazed at how, how troublesome his life was because he had this problem of escapism. He had this problem of avoiding hard topics, of avoiding hard things, and it ran his life. In fact, how he parented was through escapism at times, was through avoiding hard topics, and we see it passed down from generation to generation, King Solomon, his own son, mirrored the same level of avoidance tendencies, and it has to be dealt with with us. And in short, this issue, escapism, is all about escaping reality while forming and reconstructing a false one, a false reality. And often it's one that is void of any of our lackings or our problems, and even if it's for a moment, things to numb our pain. And what happens is as those paths are traveled down, they become easier and easier to fall into. 
And we miss out on reality by going and avoiding in this way. We escape to a screen, right? Uh, we, we, we have an issue in life, and so we escape to control. The buzz of alcohol gives some the ability to escape from their pain. Or the, the over-experience uh, in sexuality or pornography, why it's so pervasive is it allows us to escape our loneliness or our fears or our, our bad past associated with that person or the responsibilities of work, right? Escaping into them, it gives you this out from dealing with your home or your hard life or the things going on in your marriage, or diving deep into the pleasures of food, or to working out. Sometimes it can be the escape needed to get us away from dealing with hard issues in our life. And listen, these things are not bad, right? Food's not bad. Working out, work itself. Uh, sex is not bad. What happens though is when we allow escapism to create for us a false refuge. And that's when it is bad. That David throughout scripture created for himself a false refuge and it turned out that he then compromised in this false refuge. And I think that's what we have seen in our lives and that's what we do without even realizing it. Creating a false refuge and it is so pervasive in our culture to believe that this will help or that's our avenue of rest or that is how we can deal with hard things. Where our God is a jealous God who wants to be our refuge period. But escapism is so pervasive and it's an issue because as someone who wants to have a redeemed heart, we have to realize all of our avoidance tendencies, how we, we, uh, we jump around hard issues or how we want to avoid hard topics. We have to realize that escapism is in direct opposition to a growing faith. It is. Where God wants us to believe escapism will always get us to avoid. Where God wants us to surrender and, and to, to be submissive, escapism will always push us to control. Because when life is out of control, our minds, some of us, are hardwired to control. Or when our life is going good, right, and God wants us to believe that he is providing some of us, we escape into trauma or, or we escape into uh, avoiding the good and believing that there's something wrong. We make issues out of nothing where God wants to be our help. Escapism will literally teach us and, and indoctrinate us to believe that we don't need help. Escapism is all, all about forgetting our needs. And for David, his false refuge was actually created long before what we think was his biggest sin. You know the story of him sleeping with Bathsheba, of, of committing adultery and then having her husband killed? Yes, we'll get there. But his problem with escapism actually began long before that. I don't know if you know anything about David, but he is a uh, really powerful character study. That if you look, David became, at a young age, we meet him, and he became aware of his calling to be king very early on. In fact, he was prophesied over that he would be the next king of Israel. And the issue, though, was that he had no, um, had no connection to the real king. He was not a part of the blood lineage. He wasn't a part of it at all. And when this got out to Saul, the real king of the time, he got so jealous and angry. And so we see chapters in Samuel where David, his life is literally defined by escaping a real life and death threat. That Saul 
wanted to kill David and rid this, this calling upon his life. And can you imagine? I don't want to read too much into this because there are some practical things as we look at David, but just sit and imagine what that would do to an adolescent or a young adult to constantly be on move, to constantly have life out of control, to constantly flee for your life out of fear, out of, out of necessity. And this is how his norm was. Can you imagine all of the literal neurological pathways, ways that he defined comfort or security from that life? And I don't want, I'm not reading into it because we actually see how David defines security and defines kingship or defines leadership by uh, looking at how he responds when he finally gets that mantle, when kingship finally comes to him. And this is how he responds. And it's really interesting. We don't know the weight of his emotions, but we do see this practically in 2 Samuel chapter 5, King David, it says he conquered the stronghold and he named it the city of David. This is when he captures Jerusalem and finally comes to terms that he is king. And it says in verse 10, and David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts was with him. And it says, King Hiram of Tyre, King Hiram set messengers to David along with cedar trees and carpenters and masons who built David a house. This king built David a palace in Jerusalem. And listen in verse 12, it says, and David then perceived. David then perceived that the Lord had established him as king when he had a palace, when he had a controlled place, and what we will see when he had a refuge in his mind. That was when he was established as king over Israel and that God had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. And get this in verse 13. This is long before Bathsheba, chapters it says in Jerusalem, after he came from Hebron, lived in that palace, David took more concubines and wives and more sons and daughters were born to David. Now listen, this is why this is an issue. We see in Deuteronomy, God lays out what the role of a king is. And he explicitly tells them that they are to not have many wives, that they are to not take for themselves concubines and numerous wives. And the reason is because it says word for word, or else his heart will be led astray. His heart will be taken captive. His heart will be avoiding into something else. His heart will be away from the reality that God has set before. And we see this over and over in David that literally... His heart has escaped into this refuge of a palace, that that's where his, his control is. He, he thinks this is what life is. That's what makes him a king. And it makes sense practically. When we see David always out of control, he in this palace in Jerusalem, makes sure that he will never have to be in an out of control uh, experience again. In fact, all this happens so that when the scene sets itself up nicely, Israel has to go to war. David remains in his false refuge. He remains. And I want you to hear this, that, that literally scripture says that, that when Jerusalem went at war, David remains home. And this is when Bathsheba happens, but David remains home. Write this down, that escaping can sometimes mean remaining. Remaining home, remaining quiet, remaining quiet instead of dealing with that, not confessing, remaining in your pain, remaining in your sorrow, remaining in your life of fantasy, remaining in your control instead of giving up and surrender. And as David remains, he spots a woman bathing, right? 
And though he compromised, and we can name it as lust, this is a constant, uh, this is a constant escaping reality and indulging himself in pleasure. And that's what happens with escapism. Escapism is all about escaping hard things by distraction. And often it's through sex or through uh, physical indulgences, through means of, of, of blocking out what is going on mentally. And we see this happen again. David has set for himself a paradise, a refuge, and a place where he is in control. So why not have Bathsheba be mine? And this continues, this ripple effect. We see him escaping from his responsibilities at war. We see him escaping from the responsibility of, of impregnating Bathsheba. And so in doing that, in this avoidance, he sends Uriah off to war. We see him escaping the blame of his sin by trying to hide it. And over time, he escapes the effects of that sin. Other than confessing, finally, in Psalm 51, we don't see this ripple effect positively happen in his home. But it's as if he escapes and avoids the hard issue, allowing them to remain unspoken. In fact, we see this displayed over and over in his kids, this remaining quiet. Tamar, his daughter, is raped by his son. And David remains quiet. The same David that fought the giant, who stood up in this giant, he remains quiet. He remains and escapes, avoids hard topics, and allows them to just flood. His son Absalom murders his son who committed the rape, and David remains silent. He remains silent. He remains in his sorrow of the death and never actually redeems his daughter or the situation he remains silent. And years later, Absalom dies in a victory uh, of, of his people, Israel. And as they triumphantly come back into the city, David remains in his refuge, in his palace. And it casts shame onto all of his people. Because instead of celebrating the victory, he remains too long in his pain. And it's at the expense of all those around us. We have an escapism problem just like David did. And the enemy wants us to keep this habit of escapism going. Because get this, uh, where escapism beckons us to create a false reality without any pain or lacking. Think about what it would be like to actually be present. Because it's in the present that we escape from where God teaches where God moves, where God brings provision and healing. And the enemy wants us to leave that behind. Because if we escape into our habits, if we escape into our coping mechanisms, we will be blind of reality. And reality, the present, is where God is moving, where he is adding in. And this is constantly right? If you know anything about the story of David, a name that goes hand in hand is the prophet Nathan. Nathan always comes to David throughout 2 Samuel. Nathan uh, boldly brings David back to reality, reminding him, no, this is a false refuge. In fact, there's one time that I want to read where David now has established himself as king. He's got his own refuge of a palace and he wants the same thing for God. In fact, in his mind, it makes sense. I want a dwelling place for God so that he can be secure and stable. And he's now operating out of his neurological pathway that control is found in my refuge, in a, in a dwelling place. And so I want to give that. I want to honor God and give that to him. And Nathan is spoken to by God. 
And in this beautiful uh, piece of, of prophecy, the Lord just pushes Nathan to go to David and to call him out. And he literally says, who are you to build a house for me? says God. I, have, I don't need a house made by human hands to be strong. And as he continues this, he speaks a promise over the heart that escapes. He, spe- he speaks a promise over the heart that avoids problems. And he says this, uh, he tells Nathan in verse 11 of 2 Samuel, he says, moreover, the Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord will make you a house. And I know we can overlook that, but Nathan, uh, Nathan is, is speaking something very powerful because David already has a house, right? David already has a palace, a refuge, but that's not what's going on. David always leaves behind his problems to go deep into his palace. But the, the promise here is that, no, the Lord is establishing you a refuge and our God is jealous. Where you are going to satisfaction to hide from your problems, the Lord wants you to take refuge in him. He wants him to take refuge in him. We become so blind to the ways that God is providing. It's as if he's saying, David, you have all these false refuges, but I just want you to stop going to there, stop going to them, stop avoiding these issues and meet me in them. Come to me for them. When I was studying escapism, uh, one psychologist actually defined it as the opposite of mindfulness, as the opposite of being still in the Lord, that as we escape from hardships or as we escape from dealing with negative thoughts, we actually miss the stillness that comes when God provides for them. Another way of, of seeing this displayed in scripture is the prophet Elijah. And those of you who struggle with depression and anxiety, Elijah knew it well as well. The prophet Elijah literally escapes Jezebel. He escapes the feelings of insecurity that he has and he tucks himself away in a cave and in the pit of the cave, he wants to die. He's done, he's escaped, he's avoiding. He has defense mechanisms and God calls him out. And if you know the story well, you know that when God calls him out, uh, there is this raging fire, a wind, a storm happens. And each time it says, but God was not in the storm. And then afterwards it says that there was a hush a silent whisper and God was in that, the stillness. And often we, the enemy wants to keep us in the cave because it's when we face the chaos of our, of our, our problem, when we face the raging storm that then the stillness comes. And escapism is the opposite of feeling the stillness, the mindfulness of the Lord, being able to meet him. And this is what God gets so jealous of. This is what God is so jealous of. And we can actually read in Psalms. It's, it's, it's like David has this divided heart because we read in Psalms numerous times where David becomes still to the Lord, where he meets God in a powerful way, but the, the hardship is that's not communicated in his home because his children see the opposite. Each and every one of his sons, they go to the same level of pleasure. They believe the same places are refuges. They, they, they go to the same uh, sexual temptations as their dad did, and they fill their life with all of these, these vanities. In fact, King Solomon, right, the, the wisest man alive, he says, after pursuing all of these things of filling my house with every sense of satisfaction, of escaping into them, I learned that they were meaningless. They were vanities upon vanities, he says, in Ecclesiastes, and though though we see this displayed in David, his family saw 
the avoidance. That we see mindfulness, his family saw avoidance. There's this heart division. In fact, one of the most humbling things that I read this week when studying escapism, there was a clinical study called Escaping Habitual Escapism. And they, they said that the ultimate goal of escapism is the destruction of our self, of the self. Now let that sit in because why not then allow this tool to be used? Like the enemy wants this tool to be used because that's his very goal, to steal, kill, and destroy. And so why not hurt a family, a city? Why not hurt the work that God is longing to do in your street, in your home, by literally taking you down this path of avoidance, by, by literally hurting and destroying the very person that God has positioned to be in that home? And so I still avoid hard conversations. I still avoid hard processes and hard thoughts. And I see that at work already in my kids. Why not go to escapism as as a tool for the enemy? Because he knows I can destroy the work of the Lord in this city. If I can get his people to escape hard things, if I can get them to numb their pain with something else, if I can get them to avoid and cope with something else, create false refuges for them, and then they will create inevitably inevitably a new self, a secondary self that will hurt others. Goodness, I need forgiveness for that secondary self. But just think of all the things that we run from. And as we finish, think of all the things that David ran from, the scenarios, the hardships, the conversations. You see, often it's those things that God would use to mold us the most. In fact, write this down, that we often avoid the very things that God is wanting to use to shape us. How powerful would it have been for for David to go to his daughter, Tamar, and find healing and reconciliation? in this, that for him to go there and bring justice into his home. How shaping and transformative would that have been to his own heart as a father? What kind of ripple effect would that have gone on his sons? How would that have changed Absalom's trajectory of his life instead of of allowing it to be unspoken? These are the very scenarios that God wants us to lean in on because it's when we face the chaos, the storm, the raging sea, the fire, right? Just like Elijah, when we face it, That's when we see the stillness that follows, when we experience God at work following it. But I will say, if hope is to be our anthem, then there's some groundwork to do. Then we must call out and confess our divided heart. We must own and sit down and, and honestly ask ourselves what we escape from. What are the things that we avoid? What are the scenarios, the conversations, the people, the memories? What are the things we avoid? And what do we go to? What has become our false refuge? What storm? Another way to say, what storm? What chaotic fire, what wind do we need to confront that we may feel God's stillness following it? A question that I want to ask myself is, if I was to be truly present, what would I have to face? What would I have to face? If I was to be truly present, what would I have to face? And as you answer that question, it will, it will show up in your heart in your mind, that which you tend to avoid. 
And so we got to lean in to these things. Maybe it's your needs. Maybe it's your insecurities. Maybe it's a new fear that has come. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's your responsibilities that you're afraid you're not good enough for. Or maybe it's uh, the, the weight that is carrying in your home. Maybe it's a past mistake that you need to find forgiveness for. But whatever it may be, notice your pattern of escapism. Though it was taught to you in the past, it cannot be a part of our present. So as we end this morning, I actually want to do so through praying through a, um, a psalm. We do this on Declare Glory. I don't know if you've been with us uh, with Declare Glory, but we do this very often where we will pray through a psalm. And, and I hope that you do this week. This is how you can dive into this idea of, of um, mindfulness and being still with God. Join us tomorrow and in the next few days as we dive in at Declare Glory. But I want to end with uh, praying through Psalm 139. I think it's a moment when David is getting this stillness, getting this, you are my refuge, getting this, I, I cannot run away from you. You are wherever I go. And you'll see that at display. And so though it will be down below, I'm not going to read it word for word. I'm going to practice praying through this. And so uh, let my words be yours as you read, however you want. But this is a prayer as we practice mindfulness, as we practice the opposite of escapism. So, oh Lord, you are a God who searches us who has searched me and you know me. You know us, God. You know every tick. You know every problem. You know every issue. You know every path that is not of you. You know every fear, every worry, and you know all of the things that we avoid. You know when we sit and when we rise, you, you perceive our thoughts before we make them. So God, let us realize how there you are that there's nowhere we can go, that you discern our going and our coming and our lying down and you're familiar with them. And yet you have not left. You still love. Before there's a word on our tongue, you know it completely. And you've hemmed us in. Behind and before you have kept us together. God, let's sit in that. That there's no refuge I have to run to. There's no protection. There's no thing on this earth that can give me the comfort, the security, the him, the keptness that, that you provide. There's no other refuge other than you. And as David says, you have laid your hand upon us, your people. So God, in those moments that we have been so ingrained to run and avoid and seek uh, help or healing or, or a fix to our needs, can we instead come to you? Can we realize that your hand is on us, that you are our refuge, that you make a home for us? So God, forgive us of all the times that we've avoided hard things, that we've avoided hard memories, that instead of seeking healing, we've sought numbness, that instead of seeking healing, we have sought numbness that we've wanted to deny instead of find hope. So Jesus, meet us in this place. The, the idea of you being here is too wonderful to, to me. It's too lofty for me. Where can I literally go from your presence? Where can I flee? Even in my escaping, even in my wonder and fear, you are there. So God, let me own that. And let me start noticing it and let me come to you, my real refuge. So search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me today, this week, and know my anxious thoughts. 
know every time I want to avoid or know every time that I want to run and I want to flee and God can take hold of me. Let me run instead to you. Know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me. And Jesus, Spirit, Father, lead me to a place in the way that is everlasting, that I may walk in your ways, that I may be present to your ways. God, forgive me of all the times that I've avoided the present reality and missed you at work in them. But God, right now I ask, lead me in the way of the everlasting, in the way that's in, in, in step with who you've created me to be. To you be the glory, Jesus. Amen. And as we end this morning, I just want to tell you, none of this will matter if we do not, you and I do not take the, the necessary steps to actually answer for ourselves what are our places of refuge, those false refuges? What are our places that we go to and seek hope? Where are the things that we avoid? And if we don't map this out and work it out, then this growth is for nothing. And so after this message, you're gonna see some questions that I encourage you to dive into with your, your friends, with your, your spouse, with your small group. And I encourage you to go deep, do the groundwork needed because escapism is a pervasive thing pervasive problem in our home, and it will inevitably be taught to those around us if we do not catch it, if we do not pray, God, begin healing a, this old path and create new paths, God. Instead of escaping to this, I want to escape to you. I want to find refuge in you. And so my hope is that we can be a church that does just that. Thanks for listening to The Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.